0: Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, Therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Many of you, if not uh, most of you at some point in your life maybe even now have wondered what is the will of God for me? What is the will of God for my life? And I can tell you I can tell you definitively What the will of God is for you. It says it right here. It says it in our text. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification uh, comes from the word for holy, right? It's the idea of being made holy. Your holiness, that is God's will for you. His desire and plan is that you be sanctified. That you be made more like him and particularly today and in 1 Thessalonians 4 the, the focus, the emphasis of this sanctification is in the area of your sexuality. As those who bear the name of Christ, who have been baptized in his name, have been filled with his Holy Spirit, you have been called to holiness, not to impurity. And as we've been uh, focusing on this topic with the seventh commandment lately, what we want to do is walk a very careful balance. The balance is this, on the one hand, we need to be realistic about this. And realistically, uh, sexual sin is extremely common. I know that there are some of you that sometimes look around you and you see everyone else in the church and you think, wow, they have it all put together. I wish that I was like that. I'm not like that. I could never be like them. They don't sin like I do. They've not done the things that I've done. But in fact, there's no temptation that has come upon you that is not common to man. And everyone in this room has most likely been tempted or sinned sexually. Especially in our culture, right, where we have been indoctrinated with sexual immorality, where we glorify it. The the average age today of exposure, first exposure to pornography, is 10 to 12 years old. Sexual abuse is rampant, incest, there's a casual view of fornication. Fornication, by the way, is sex outside of marriage homosexuality is praised right of of course this is going to be a common area of sin for us given this situation right it's going to be a common area that many of us struggle okay if I'm just being totally honest if you told me I've never struggled in the area of sexual sin or lust I would be really shocked happily shocked I wouldn't be unhappy about that, but I would would be a little shocked because of how common this is. So that's the one side of the balance. We want to be realistic, but on the other side is that you need to realize that just because of the the proliferation of or the, the normality of this sin, it doesn't in any way make it better. It is still so destructive it is still so devastating. You need to realize that. And you may want to or try to justify it. But ultimately, when you sin sexually, when you engage in any desire or actions outside of God's covenantal plan in marriage, one man, one woman for life, like we've spoken about already, then you you haven't just disregarded man. You haven't just disregarded some kind of earthly custom that we've come up with. Right? You might not care to listen to me. right? You might think, who's this guy? Right? Why is he up front? Why does he get to say these things? Why do I have to listen to him? He's just a man like me. And sure, let's just say that that's true. Disregard me or disregard those who our friends of yours, disregard your parents, your upbringing, your church. That's all a bad idea. right? It's not good to disregard the wise counsel of others. But when you disregard the call to abstain from sexual morality, you're not just disregarding man. You are, in fact, disregarding God. The God who made you. The God who designed you. And if you're a Christian, the God who has filled you with his Holy Spirit, who dwells within you. So to disregard this call to chastity is to disregard God himself. So as common as this may be, as far as sin goes, we don't want to in any way try to justify it because of that. Old Testament scripture reading today is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, the seventh commandment. Hear the word of the Lord. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. Uh, This week I had actually written uh, just a totally different sermon for today. Um, I had written at least the vast majority of it. I was probably about three quarters through or a little bit more. And I got to this point where I just couldn't kick this thought that we really needed to cover something else. It kept coming up as I was writing the sermon and then it just uh, became its own. Something that I think that we should cover before we keep moving on. So initially I was planning to be done with the 7th commandment today. There's actually going to be one more sermon. Uh, on the 7th commandment. Focused on uh, maybe more practical uh, strategies. For uh, chaste living. Um, those things which scripture helps us. Uh, and directs us in. In freeing us from. Sexual immorality. Uh, but it's going to be a little while. So um, I'm, next week we have. Uh, Pastor Matt Klein. From the Eau Claire Church Plant that we support coming and he's going to be preaching for us and the two weeks after that I'm on vacation and so uh, we have two of the elders will be preaching uh, and leading the services during those weeks and um, so we will get there we will finish uh, but uh, before we do it'll just be uh, be a little while. What just seemed to keep coming up um, as I contemplated this as as I meditated on the word, is the the great danger that you may be in if when you hear the words of God's law, when you hear words like you shall not commit adultery, the danger that you're in is that you try to justify your sin. As the word of God reveals our sin, puts a spotlight on it, as the law exposes us, the danger is that you would try to cover it up and justify it. There are lots of ways that we try to do this. And the encouragement that we get from the word of God is that you don't need to do that. Don't try to justify your sin by hiding it. Maybe you think that if no one knows about it, then it doesn't really matter. If nobody finds out, if it stays in the heart or in the head or behind closed doors, if you don't talk about it and no one sees it, well, then it's hidden. There's no problem because you act as if the sin isn't there. You hide it. But eventually sin gets out. Eventually it grows to the point where you simply won't be able to. This week um, I, we have a little kitten. Haddon has a little kitten and it had this injury on its neck. We thought it had gotten cut or, or had almost what looked like a puncture wound. And uh, some of the Diefenbos actually came over briefly and said actually that's that's a, a kind of parasite that's been laid in the neck and you actually have to take it out. It was a bot fly larva. If you've ever seen this, it's really horrifying. I don't recommend this, but there are lots of YouTube videos of people dealing with these. And uh, what it does is this bot fly crawls in the the nose or the the mouth cavity of an animal, and it lays its, its larva somewhere usually in the neck area, but it can be elsewhere, too. And as that larva grows into a kind of a almost like a you know, worm kind of a thing, eventually it needs air. And what it does is it, is it burrows out. Right? It burrows out so there's now a hole from which it can breathe, from which it can, can have air while it grows. And it will slowly grow until it, it uh, can get out. But what you have to do is you have to remove the air source so that it comes up for air and you have to grab it with a tweezer or something like that and you have to pull it out. And it's very gross. But even before it burrowed its way out, even before it, it made this hole from which to breathe, it was still there. That's, that is sin. Right? It, even if it has not yet come up for air, it's there. If it is not killed, it's still there. And even if you could somehow keep it hidden from everyone else, you can't hide it from God like we already saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, to disregard these commands. is not to disregard man, it's to disregard God. And not that you can truly disregard God, but in a sense, that's what you are doing when you are trying to hide your sin. But God sees everything. He searched your innermost parts. Man looks on the outward appearance. So yeah, you can hide sometimes your sin behind a, you know a, a nice clean looking exterior you can hide it from your parents you can hide it from the elders of the church you can hide it from your friends your family but you can't hide it from God God knows it all God is light and there is no darkness in him and he is not blind a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths think about that Right? The the darkest thoughts, ideas, fantasies, desires that you've had, the things that you wouldn't want the people closest to you to know. God knows those things. Every person that you've ever been with, every link that you've ever clicked, every lingering gaze, every shameful act, he saw all of it and he was present during all of it. You can't justify your sin by hiding it don't try to justify your sin by hiding yourself right maybe you can't hide the sin but you can run you can hide yourself from others and how often is it that we sin and rather than have sin exposed in some way what we're going to do is we're going to pull away from other people You run away, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. They sin, and when they know that God is coming, they run and they hide behind some bushes. So you stop going to church. You pull away from fellowship, from Bible studies. You you pull away from the relationships in your life so that you don't get exposed. You don't let others get to know you. You become reclusive, keeping everyone at an arm's length. And cutting off anyone that knows the truth about you. You have to hide. But again, you can't hide from God. You can't run from Him. He knows everything about you. He knows you in and out better than you know yourself. He knows your name. The true you. Not even the mask that you show to everyone else. The one you hide behind. To God, that's no better than the bushes in the garden. The garden that he planted, that he made. You can't justify your sin by trying to hide yourself. Don't try to justify your sin by thinking that it's not actually that bad. Right, don't you do this. you think, well it's it's not really that big of a deal right? Is it even sinful? Is it even that wrong? Right? Isn't it kind of an old-fashioned and repressive idea that sex is something that you shouldn't be totally free about? It's enjoyable. It's nice, right? Shouldn't you just get over that? It's such a little thing. It's not like real sin, right? It's not like murder. It's not like the really bad sinners and the things that they do. Or maybe you know it's wrong, But you say, well, I mean, God is going to be gracious. He's going to forgive me. So it really isn't that big of a deal. God is sovereign. He knows that I'm doing this. This must be a part of his plan. You numb your conscience by the kindness of God. You use the kindness of God in order to justify increasing sin. Right? You sin that grace may abound. But it is a big deal. Sexual sin is incredibly destructive to you, to others. It disregards the, the commands of God. It's a high and lofty rebellion. And it lies about Christ, who, remember, all of our earthly marriages are pointing toward. ...are directed toward. It lies about him. It defames him. We read in scripture... ...as for the sexually immoral... ...their portion will be in the lake... ...that burns with fire... ...and sulfur... ...which is the second death. There will be many people... ...in hell forever... ...because of their sexual immorality. Because they chose to think... ...that it wasn't a big deal. They tried to cover it up. That it didn't matter... Because they had no fear of God and no concern for the wickedness of their sin. But you can't justify your sin by thinking it's actually not that big of a deal. Don't try to justify your sin by thinking that it doesn't harm anyone. Of course it harms someone. Paul says that every other sin is committed outside the body. But sexual immorality is committed against the body. There is physical damage done. STDs and infections, various cancers. There's greater risk of domestic abuse outside of long-term relationships. There's mental and emotional and psychological damage done. Depression Numbing the conscience, personality disorders, the inability to bond with someone emotionally or physically, the existential dread of carrying around shame and guilt all the time. And there's spiritual damage, right, as you continue to move further and further away from God, further from the truth, further from life. ...further from what you were made to be. And that's just personal. And there's more we could say. But you also harm others in these ways and more. Even if they agree to sin with you... ...it's still sinning. You're still creating the demand for more objectification and abuse... You still harm the lives of children as they now have the damage caused by growing up in single-parent households, usually without a father. They have to deal with the destructive nature of divorce. And all of those children that have died because of the abortifacient effects of so much so-called birth control or even just straight-out abortion. These are all ways that Harm has and is done because of our sin. Your sin harms others. But we say today, as long as there is consent, right? As long as there's two consenting adults, does it really matter? Well, we know there are hundreds, probably thousands, probably more things that you could do fully willing, fully consenting, that are still destructive that still cause emotional, relational, physical, and spiritual damage. Right? Consent itself doesn't just make something right. It doesn't magically make something natural or healthy or good or not harmful. You can't justify your sin by thinking that it doesn't harm anyone. Right? Don't try to justify your sin by saying... It's common. Everybody is sinning in this way. Everybody's doing it. Right? Isn't that all but meaningless? The actions of others won't keep you from standing before the judgment seat of God for what you did. Right? Every man's actions will be brought into account on that final day. You can't justify your sin by saying that everyone else is doing it. Don't try to justify your sin on the basis of someone else's sin. Blaming others. Look what they did. Look what they did to me. Therefore. Blaming others doesn't free you from this. What does Adam do when he was found out in his sin? He blames the woman the woman that God gave him he blames Eve he blames God what does the woman do she blames the serpent it was that serpent that did this and who does God curse because of this the man and the woman and the serpent all of them right blaming others didn't get them out of what was coming they didn't get out of the judgment Right? Well, my husband doesn't encourage me like he should. He's not present in the way that I'd like him to be. Well, my wife's not sexually available in the way that I think Scripture tells her to be. Well, I've been hurt. Right? I'm, just, I'm acting out of the ways that I've been hurt. It's not really me. It's, it's what someone else did. There are all kinds of ways that you can slowly start to tell yourself, well, it's okay because of what someone else did, by blaming someone else. And yeah, there are lots of ways that people have sinned against you. It was wicked and it was wrong. And that doesn't justify your sin. Right? Your sinning in response, it doesn't just magically go away. It doesn't make it okay. You can't justify your sin by other people's sin. Don't try to justify your sin by saying, look, it gets me what I need or what I want. Right? Maybe you use something like sex as a means to manipulate others, to get some kind of love or some kind of respect. Right? You don't trust God and his promises to uh, accomplish the things that he has said he will give you. So you you go looking for it in your own way. You try to provide it in your own way. Think about Sarah as she gave Abraham to lie with her maidservant because she was trying to get what God had promised, but she didn't trust the way that he said he would do it. Using something as intimate or paradigmatic as sexuality to achieve something else That you should be trusting the Lord to provide well that doesn't make it okay Right just because it seems even even if it seems like wow, it's working. I'm getting what I want It still doesn't justify it you can't Justify your sin because you think it gets you what you need or want And don't try to justify sin by saying Well, you need to. I need to sin. Well, it's natural, isn't it? Right? Shouldn't I be able to satisfy this this desire, this urge? God wouldn't make me like this if I couldn't act on it, if I couldn't do something about it. I was made this way. I can't change. No, in fact, because God made you, he has every right to tell you what you can and can't do how you should and shouldn't use your body, right? It's said often today, my body, my choice, but that's not actually true. It's God's body. You belong to him, and if you're married, it's your wife's body or your husband's body. It doesn't belong to you. You can't justify your sin by thinking that you you need to do it. you can't justify your sin. You can't, on an objective level. You can try, but you can't do it. You can't justify it by hiding it, by hiding yourself, by thinking that it isn't that big of a deal, it's not that bad, that it doesn't harm anyone. You can't justify it because everybody else is doing it too, because other people have sinned against you. You can't justify it because you think it gives you what you need or want or you need it in itself. You can try to convince yourself that it's justified, but you're still guilty. You can't justify your sin. But Jesus Christ can justify you. Jesus Christ can, in a certain sense, justify your sin. Right? Not by accepting it as if it weren't that big of a deal, not by simply pretending that it's not there, that it doesn't exist or it hasn't done significant damage, not by acquiescing to it or condescending to sin himself, right, not not just being like us in that he sinned and makes us feel better about ourselves for having done these things. Not in any of the ways that you have often tried or will try to justify your sin. But Jesus Christ justifies you, justifies sin in this way that he kills it. It's not even probably proper to say he justifies sin. He justifies you. But he justifies sin in the sense that that he rights every wrong. He makes all things good. Right? Jesus Christ kills your sin by taking all of it. Right? Every horrible thought, every shameful action, every false justification, every self-centered twisting of His good gifts, He takes all of that to Himself. He bore all of that to the cross, and He died, and He was buried And the sin was buried with him. Right? He takes your sin with him to the grave. He took you, sin and all, with him into the grave. And when he rose up from the grave, you were justified. Because the sin was left in the tomb. The sin was left in the ground. Just like the burial clothes that were wrapped around Christ were left in the tomb. So your sin has been left. So your sin has been completely and in every way dealt with. He rose up for your justification. He justified sin in this sense, right? That he has righted every wrong. That he has paid every debt. That he has cleansed every impurity. That he has made even sin an opportunity to make known his redemption, his grace, his kindness, his love to you. And your need for him. He has justified you. The sinner turned saint. The one in darkness brought into the light. The one exposed and ashamed given a covering. The slave made a free man. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we're putting a spotlight on sin, especially sexual sin, right? Sins that that so often feel so personal and go right to the heart of things, that feel personal because they are, in fact, personal. You may feel that draw, that need to justify sin, but don't do it. And and you can't. It's not going to work, even if you try Mankind has always tried, and every time failed. You need to be justified, to be made new, to have your sin dealt with, not hidden away or kept. And Jesus Christ was made to be that sin, your sin, so that he could dispose of it. So that in its place, he could give you his very own life abundantly. The way for sin to be justified is not for you to justify... ...but for it to be killed. Right? And if you try to keep it... ...if you try to hold on to it... ...if you try to hide it... Right, ...that will become like a millstone around your neck. It will drag you deep into the sea. Right? But in Christ... ...you can be released from that burden. Come unto me all who are weary and are heavy laden... ...for I will give you rest, he says... If you have believed in the gospel, there is no more room for you to justify your own sin. Right? And you know what it is. You, you know that you can't pretend like it's not that big of a deal. Because you see what the Son of God had to do to deal with it. Consider this then a reminder of the reality of sin and the deceptiveness of your heart, but far more importantly, a reminder of the total and the complete forgiveness that has been given to you in Jesus Christ. Right? When we look to His judgment, just like we sang, we don't look to His judgment as though it's going to expose something that's not already been exposed. No, it's, it's been exposed and it's been dealt with. So we look... To the day of judgment from beneath the cross. Through the cross. We see the day that Christ will return through the cross. Through the reality that all of our sin. Every bit of it has been totally and completely forgiven. All of it has been dealt with by the grace of God. His justification. All of it for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would teach us your ways. Teach us your grace. Where we have forgotten it, remind us once again. Where we have not trusted the power of the cross, the power of what Jesus Christ has done, would you help us to see it anew? Lord, we pray that you would give us the freedom of your Holy Spirit, knowing that every one of our sins has been dealt with. And we pray, God, that uh, if there is anyone here that has never truly known you, never truly known that freedom, that justification, that you would reveal yourself to them, that they might know. Now, Lord, would you meet with us as we join with you in the table of the Lord, in his name, amen.